I have a confession to make to every one of you here. There's a holiday that I enjoy, not top, because Easter's up there. It's not my birthday. It's not Christmas. But there's one that's in fourth place. Think what you want, but it's Halloween. Now, here's why I love Halloween. I get to dress up as whatever I want. I get to pretend. Now, here lately, if you ask me, if you find me now on Halloween, hey, Keith, what are you going as? I'm going to give you the same answer every single year. Um, I'm going to say I'm one of my brothers. I'm an identical triplet. So every Halloween, I'm one of them every single time. But when I was a kid, I was, about, I was pretty much the same thing every single year. Oh, yeah. A ninja. Oh, I w and I was a good one, too. Like, no one could find me. I would hide. I would climb up into a tree, and I had the full get-up. had a plastic sword. I had nunchucks. Oh, I was awesome. I was the real deal. Well, except the fact that I wasn't. I mean, I couldn't do flips. I couldn't, like, just vanish. Now, listen, maybe some of you, you're like me. You grew up, you wanted to, you know, maybe went as a rock star, maybe as your favorite athlete, maybe your favorite cartoon character. But for me, I was the same thing every time. I always wanted, and even to this day, I kind of have, like, this inner child. I'm like, you know, I could, I, could, I could still be a ninja. I mean, I could, I'd probably be made fun of. But... For me, I was pretending to be something that I wasn't. I was projecting this thing. And today, as we continue this series called The Jesus Diaries, as we're kind of journaling through the Gospels leading up to Easter, we're going to see a moment where Jesus had to deal with a group of people that were kind of like, well, me in a way. They weren't dressed up like ninjas, but they were pretending to be something that they weren't. So if you would, turn with me in your copy of God's Word to Mark chapter 8, verse 33. Mark chapter 8, verse 33. Now, no, Jesus did not dress up for Halloween, but again, he had these posers, these people that were with him, and they would listen to his teachings. They ate the bread, they ate the fish, but in this moment, where we're going to read Jesus is calling them from being just a follower to being a disciple, from being someone that's just observing and partaking to someone contributing and what's wild is in the passage just before this one that we're going to read, Peter was telling Jesus, hey, you're not going to die. You're not going to the cross. I need you to be positive, Jesus. Don't be so negative all the time. And then Jesus, this, we're going to start off with his reply. I'll be real with you. This is like Pastor Jesus. And I, this is some tough stuff. And some of us, like if, if I said this to you, you probably wouldn't be here anymore. You'd be like, oh, this is my first and last time at Thrive. But let's dig in. So again, let's see if we can handle it. Verse 33, Jesus turned around and looked at his disciples, then reprimanded Peter, get away from me, Satan. Mm. You are seeing things merely from a human point of view, not God's. Then calling the crowd to join his disciples, he said, If any of you want to be my follower, you must give up your own way. Take up your cross and follow me. Now, I'm going to pause for, for just a moment. Now, this doesn't really sound surprising to us. Many of us, you may know that Jesus, uh, in just chapters later, he would go and he would die on a cross by crucifixion. That's how he would die. So for them, they don't really know this yet. So we kind of have insider knowledge that they aren't aware of. So they're like, take up your cross. 
What in the world? What, Jesus, what in the world are you talking about, man? Let's keep reading. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake and for the sake of the good news or the gospel, you will save it. And what do you benefit if you gain the whole world but lose your own soul? Is anything worth more than your soul? If anyone is ashamed of me and my message in these adulterous and sinful days, the Son of Man will be ashamed of that person when he returns in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Jesus is telling these individuals to pick up their cross daily and follow him. To give up their life for the sake of the gospel, for the good news. Now here's, again, a fun fact. They've not even experienced the good news yet. They've heard his teachings. They've seen the miracles. They've seen the signs. But the good news hasn't even happened. Jesus hasn't died yet. He's not resurrected back to life yet. But we'll get to that as we get to Easter. But he wants them to daily to pick up their cross to follow him. To crucify their personal gain, their personal pursuits, their lust, what they want, what they desire. He wants them to put it aside and follow him. So what is Jesus ultimately saying to these individuals? What is this passage saying to us today? This is a central thought, big idea. This is what we need to grasp is this. Don't be a false follower. Don't do it. Don't be a false follower, which sounds simple, right? However, none of us are probably sitting here, if you call yourself a follower of Christ, if you call yourself a Christian, you're probably not thinking, nah, man, actually, I'm faking it. This is false. I'm just pretending. Remember like Keith and him being a ninja for Halloween? No, 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 no. I'm just putting this in front of my name. I'm just what's called a nominal believer. Nominal means by name only, but that's it. I will tell you, but you'll never prove it. So he is calling them to stop just following him around and be a part of his mission, be a part of what he has for them. Because what he talks about, what he lays out, see false followers, they don't have, they don't sacrifice anything. They just go up and until discomfort and they're like, mm, I don't know about all this. Mm, let's not do that. I'll enjoy the fish. I'll enjoy the bread. I'll enjoy the miracles but I'm not going to say no to me. I mean, I am too important. It's all about me, me, me. So the litmus test of seeing if, again, you or I, if we're a true follower, if we're a false follower, is are we willing to sacrifice things in our lives for the gospel, for his kingdom? And I'm going to be honest with you, this is probably one of the most difficult passages. I'm going to read this. This is Matthew chapter 7, verse 21 through 23. Because, see, Jesus talks about a false follower, he talks about what happens to false followers. And this is what Jesus says. This is from Matthew. He was a tax collector that became a follower of Christ. He says, not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name, cast out demons in your name, perform many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's laws. They were followers in name only, depending upon their good deeds, the things they did for him to earn their way into heaven or to earn like this extra credit. They had deceived themselves into thinking they were a true follower, a true disciple of Jesus. 
So the question that we kind of, one of the things we have to wrestle with today is, ah, snap, am I a false follower or am I a true follower? Well, there are three attributes of a false follower. We're going to work through this, and then we're going to talk about what does it mean to be a true follower. So the first attribute of a false follower is they are like fans at a game. False followers are like fans at a game. They've got on the T-shirt. They are shouting from the, from the stands. They are excited for what's happening on the field. They talk like they're on the team. When the team scores, oh, man, we scored a touchdown. But you weren't even on the field. Oh, no, no, it's okay, it's okay. You know, I, I, I need, we should have done this. We should have done that. Now, see, I can kind of make fun of that because, like, Pastor Kevin, he's huge on sports. He talks about anything NC State. It goes from them to we. We this. We that. And I'm, I'm just, I don't want sports. But for followers, they're like fans of the game. Yeah, Thrive, man, you guys, they gave, we gave to a family in need. That's awesome. Let's celebrate that. But I don't give anything, but we'll clap and celebrate. Oh, I love it that when I come to Thrive Church, I feel welcomed. My kids are having a blast in kids' ministry. I feel loved even just once I hit the parking lot. Oh, serving? No, 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 no. No, but hey, good job, guys. Good job, guys. I'm so glad for you guys. False followers are just fans. They celebrate but contribute nothing. That is one of the attributes of a false follower. And I'm going to kind of be real with you. Some of this message today, it's going to be tough. I remember just in preparation for this message, man, I've been challenged more than ever. Again, over the last several months, I've preached a number of times. This message, it can be crippling in the best kind of way. Why? Because this is going to challenge us to be true Christ followers. It's going to challenge us to live the life that God has called us to. Now, here's the second attribute of a false follower. They choose culture, celebrities, and media over the Bible. They prefer and base their life off of what, maybe a political party, what a celebrity, what some fancy new book that just came out. They value that, those views, those thoughts, those opinions over what the Bible says. They rally up of what they say, but then they say that the Bible is just a book of options. That's optional. We don't have to do that. That's just the Bible. See, I know for me, in my life personally, there are certain things even in my life, my own personal thoughts, views, opinions. Guess what? They don't go along with the Bible. What are you saying, Keith? You're a pastor. Everything you think, feel, and believe is just the Bible. Like if, if, if you, you get a paper cut, like scripture comes out. No, that's not how this works. So what I have to do and what you have to do, we have to filter that through scripture. So guess what? Scripture wins. Scripture's always going to win compared to what I think, feel, and believe. So I'm going to filter my life through scripture. So again, false followers, they are fans, but they're not contributing. They're taking their cues and thoughts and feelings from culture instead of the Bible. And then the third attribute is that they want a friends with benefits situation with Jesus. Now, do not tune me out. Some of you are like friends with benefits. Some of you know what that is. Some of you do not. Let me break it down for you. It's like you're in a relationship with all the benefits of a relationship, but with zero commitment. It's what me and my day, we call it being friendly friends because you being too friendly with that friend. 
And a false follower of Christ, that's what they want. They want no hard commitment to Christ or the local church, but they want all the benefits from it. They want God and his provision, but they don't want to live a life of generosity. They want God's wisdom and patience and, and guidance, but they don't apply it to their whole life so they continue to live in cycles. They want his forgiveness, but they stay in the same cycle of sin without finding repentance. And newsflash, Jesus does not do friends with benefits. He wants us to be fully committed to him, to pick up our cross daily and follow him. And this is why it's so important today. For me, to be honest with you, it's from Matthew 7 that we read. See, you can fool yourself into thinking that you're a true follower of Jesus. You can deceive yourself. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, I did this for you, but I served, but I led a small group, but I tithed, but I did this and I did that. It is terrifying to me when I read a passage like that, because I'll be honest with you, I get worried. I start getting anxiety like, oh, snap, am I, am I a true follower of Jesus? Am I, do, or am I, am I deceiving myself? Am I, is the enemy deceived me, making me think? And I start getting these irrational thoughts. And then what I have to do is come back to Scripture. I have to remember that I'm saved through faith in Christ and his death and his resurrection, not of my own works, because then I boast about it. Everything has to come from him. For me, I was a nominal believer. As I said earlier, this nominal Christian, I was that. I grew up in church. I learned the Bible stories. There was even uh, one church we went to, they had this program called Awanas, which was basically like a Christian Boy Scout thing they did. Anyways, but one of the things you had to do to kind of move up into the ranks, you had to memorize scripture. Man, I was rattling off scripture. I knew the Bible, but I didn't do anything else. I had all this knowledge, but no application. And then I started going to this other church, the student ministry. And I encountered this. I encountered passages like Mark chapter 8 and Matthew chapter 7. And I realized that I had been a false follower of Jesus for years. And I had to change my life. Because those people in Matthew 7, they had fooled themselves into thinking they... We're following Jesus. And maybe for you or for me, there are times we find that we love the church. We love the benefits of following Christ, but we do not have a love for and with Jesus. And some of us here today watching online here in this room, you may be, again, in this day and time, a term that we couldn't use a year ago. We're socially distancing our faith. Eh, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll do that, but I'm not going to do this. Yeah, I'll do that, but we don't have this life of sacrifice. We have this life where it's still all about us. And this is our action step. This is what we have to do when we leave this place today. And this is not a one-time deal. This is a daily process, a daily thing. We have to move from just following to being a disciple. We're not just following on the outskirts anymore. We're going to be fully devoted disciples of Christ. And the Gospel of Luke, Luke, he reiterates what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8. In Luke chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Then he said to the crowd, if any of you wants to be my follower, 
You must give up your own way, take up your cross daily, and follow me. If you try to hang on to your life, you will lose it. But if you give up your life for my sake, you will save it. You see, as, as you become a Christian, there are these, almost like a progression, four stages of being a, uh, someone that, again, follows Christ. The first thing is you're going to be a believer. A believer is someone that just does that. They believe, they believe that, that Jesus, God in the flesh, he died for our sins. He resurrected on the third day, conquering death, hell, and the grave. That in that, in our faith in that, we can be forgiven of our sins, that we can have eternal life. That's being a believer. Then we progress into just a follower. That's someone that you're attending. You're kind of, again, on the outskirts. You're really not doing anything sacrificially. You're trying to understand what does it mean to follow Christ? What is this process? What does it look like to be a disciple? And then you make the decision to be a disciple. Now, see, a disciple of Jesus, just as those there, they make the decision to begin to live by his teaching. They begin to filter their life through him that we begin to put ourselves in the back seat and it's no longer about us. We begin to live sacrificially. We begin to, again, the way we operate our household, the way we treat our coworkers, the way we treat our spouse, the way we treat our kids, everything begins to shift and change and be transformed by him, by the gospel, by the good news. And as we are, again, a disciple, the next thing after that, and this is something Jesus calls every follower, every Christian to do, is to be a disciple maker. Someone who is going to empower. Someone that's going to encourage. Now, maybe that for you is serving in our kids' ministry. Empowering the rising generation to know and love Jesus. To know and be a part of the local church. Maybe it's not just attending a small group, but leading a small group. Maybe it's rallying people together in your neighborhood just to get together and just, just to care for one another in a time of need. Maybe it's not just leading a small group. Maybe, again, being a disciple maker, maybe it's helping train up other people to lead small groups. Maybe it's being a small group leader with our student ministry. Listen, I have no idea. Those are just examples. But can I encourage you and kind of remind you that God is bigger than this moment. He will lead you. He will guide your steps. He will help you. Our food ministry that we have here, it serves two Fridays out of the month. We didn't just think, you know what we need? A food ministry. No. There were individuals that God led them to begin that ministry. And not only has it continued to serve our community for a number of years, but the team members and those that lead this team have changed over the years. And you see this progression of individuals that start serving. And as they're serving, they end up leading. And as they're leading, they end up becoming the team lead. See, there's this progression that Christ is calling all of us to. Ultimately, it's not just to be about us. It's about to be about others. It's to help others become fully devoted disciples of Jesus. In Matthew chapter 28, there's what's called the Great Commission. We are commanded to go and make disciples. Many of us, we go and we enjoy the preaching. We go and we enjoy the worship. We go and we enjoy the group. But we're, we're not called to do it. We're called to go and make disciples. So you have to answer this question, what does that look like for you? How do you walk through that? And then the thing we're going to tackle, the remainder of this message, 
is how do we become a true disciple of Jesus? What do we need to do? Here's the first thing we're going to do. And I say we because we are all in this together. We are going to continually crucify our human opinions. We're going to crucify our human opinions. Peter, he had opinions about Jesus. He shared his opinions. He said, no, nah, Jesus, no, nah, man, you're not going to die. No, nah, man, quit being so negative. And Jesus called him, he said, you're thinking like Satan. Man, if I said that to anyone in here, you'd be on the back of a milk cart and you would be gone from Thrive Church. Peter did not get offended. He did not get upset. But see, the thing is, our personal opinions and things that we personally get offended by at times can prevent us from doing what God has called us to do. It can hold us back and can be this hindrance, and we have to lay them down. And as I shared earlier, we have to filter them through Scripture. Well, I think, Phil, no, I don't care what I think, feel, and believe. I don't care what you think, feel. What does the Bible say? What does that say first? Because that's what matters most and more than what I think, feel, and believe. So there are times, again, as we are progressing, as we are walking with Christ, as we're being transformed by the power of the gospel, we're going to start basically be this pruning process in our lives of things that we do or things that we say or things that we think about that we have to allow to be pruned and cut off and crucified. So we have to process our human opinions through Scripture because Christ, his opinions matter more and most. Here's the next thing we have to do. This is way easier said than done. We have to say no to sin. We have to say no to sin. We have to allow Christ to crucify our sin. And there's a word, this churchy word, it's called sanctification. And what sanctification means is being set apart from sin to be used by Christ. It's you, again, as we're filtering our, what I think firmly through Scripture, we're beginning to base our life on this. And that's what's happened. We're beginning to be set apart from sin. And here's what we need to understand, and you need to know. If you didn't know this, you're about to find out. And you're like, you and I, we will be tempted to sin. There are areas in your life, there are people in your life, we will be tempted to sin. And there are times where just saying no to sin is difficult. Because there are things in sin that are fun, and we still have to say no. Why? Because that's what Scripture says. And what we have to do is kind of like when you drive through the mountains, you got these windy, crazy roads where along the edge of the road, you have these guardrails that are in place to keep you from running off the side of the mountain. Guess what? We have to do the same thing in our lives. We have to put these guardrails in place to keep us on track, to keep us focused on where God is taking us, what God wants and desires for our lives. Because so easily we can run off the cliff. And I'm going to be completely straight up, real. And man, if your kids aren't in kids ministry, you're going to really wish they were opened up. Here's what I'm going to say. Our mobile devices are a gateway now. Your smartphone, your tablet, now your smart TV. Put guardrails, put filters, monitoring things on these devices. Barna Research, they're one of the top leading research groups in America. They did this study and they discovered, and this is true of Christians and non-Christians, 
that roughly 60 to 65% of men and roughly 15 to 20% of women have looked at porn in the last 30 days. This matters. Saying no to sin matters. Putting guardrails in place matters. Why? Because the purpose of Christ matters more than a temporary feeling that you can get through a screen. Put guardrails in place. Guess what? I have guardrails in place. I use a, a company called Covenant Eyes. It's on all my devices, all the laptops, my tablet, my phone. Oh, Keith, you have it. Yeah, man, I'm not going to be a statistic. Mike, what God has called me to do is more important than a temporary feeling. Now, listen, maybe that's not you. Maybe you're like, Keith, I don't really struggle with that, man. You're, you're kind of wacky out up there talking about that. Listen, I don't know what area of your life, I don't know if it's gossip. I don't know if it's anger. I don't know if it's selfishness. I don't know if it's gambling. I don't know what your struggle is. But we are all going to be tempted to sin, and I don't care what it is. What I care about is the fact you have guardrails in place in your life to keep you on track so that you can say no to sin. Paul wrote this to the church in Corinth. It is my favorite passage of Scripture. It is 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. Write it down, 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 13. What it says is that we will be tempted, but God will not allow us to be tempted beyond what we can bear. And the best part, the best part is at the end of that verse, he says, and when we are tempted, because it's going to happen, he will make a way of escape. My prayer for many, I'm an accountability partner in individuals, my prayer is that when temptation happens, when there's fire in the building, there's not, but that his way of escape will be like this bright lit LED flashing lights, just, and it makes it so much, say no to sin. You want to be a true disciple of Jesus? You want to allow him to make great impact in your life? Crucify your own human opinions. Filter them through scripture. Say no to sin. Put guardrails in place to keep you on track for where God is taking you. And then here is the final thing that we've got to do. We have to show it and stop just saying it. Show it. Before Jesus was crucified, uh, he told Peter, he's like, bro, you're going to deny me three times. Peter was telling me, hey, man, I'm going to follow you to the end. I'm going to be with you for the whole time. And just like, no, man. Dude, before the rooster crows in the morning, you're going to deny me three times. And it's exactly what happened. Peter was off in the distance watching all this turmoil, all this stuff happen. And then people were asking him, hey, man, don't you, you follow Jesus? You're one of his disciples. No, no, man, I just look like that guy. My name is Mark. And then later, Hey, I saw you with him. I know you're, you're, you're one of us, but no. And then the third time, I know you're, no. And this time he cussed. I'm not going to cuss because then that'd be really bad and then y'all be mad at me. But here's what's awesome. After Jesus resurrected back from the dead, this was the third time that Jesus, after his resurrection, he was with his disciples. The disciples, they've been fishing. They've been fishing all night. And basically, they wound up on shore where Jesus was. And Jesus already had breakfast ready. He had fish ready for them. And they were sitting there eating breakfast. And Jesus asks Peter, 
Peter, do you love me? Peter said, yes, Jesus, I love you. Jesus replied, feed my lambs. Peter, do you love me? Yes, Jesus, I love you. Feed my sheep. Jesus, do you love me? Yes. Take care of my sheep. And I find it not ironic that these questions that Jesus asked Peter were three to counteract those three denials. And Jesus in this moment is trying to get Peter to move from saying it to showing it, to proving it, to doing it, to taking care of followers of Jesus. He kept saying, yes, I love you, yes, I love you, yes, I love you. We have to live a life of sacrifice. We have to be willing to say no to me, to you, say no to your selfishness, say no to your own human opinion, say no to sin. We have to live this life. Paul, he said this to Christians in Rome, Romans chapter 12, verses one and two. He said, and so dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you to give your bodies to God because all he has done for you, let them be a living and holy sacrifice, the kind he will find acceptable. This is truly the way to worship him. Don't copy the behavior and customs of this world, but let God transform you into a new person by changing the way you think. Then you will learn to know God's will for you, which is good, pleasing, and perfect. God is calling us to live a life of sacrifice, a life that is fully devoted to him. A life where daily we are picking up our cross and we are following him. We are crucifying ourselves. We're crucifying our thoughts. We're crucifying our actions, our dreams, our wants, our desires, and surrendering it completely to him. Why? Because it's not about us. It's not about the promotion. It's not about the new house. It's not about the next car. It's not about the next technology piece of gadgetry that you can add to your arsenal. No, it is about pushing forward the gospel of Jesus Christ. And every area of your life should show this. It should show this in your marriage. It should show this in your relationship with your children. It should be evident when you go to work. It should be evident when you're in Starbucks and they mess your drink order up. Don't freak out. It's okay. You'll still get your caffeine. And then they'll remake it for free because that's how Starbucks rolls. My fear for you and for me, it's not, are we living out Mark 8, 33 and 34? Are we crucifying our flesh? My fear is, are we living out Matthew 7, 21 and 22? Are we deceiving ourselves? Have we been thinking this whole time that we've been in right standing with God and we've missed it? I don't know what your next step is today. I don't know what you need to do to take this next step to being a, a true disciple of Jesus. If you don't follow Jesus, if you don't have a relationship with him, your next step is to say yes, is to follow him, to become a believer, then become a follower. 
Maybe you're a disciple and you need to become a disciple maker. You need to take that next step. You need to lead that small group. You need to to be a part of uh, one of the ministry teams here at Thrive. You need to say yes to serving in your community. Listen, I don't know what your next step is, but thank God he does. And he will lead you and he will guide you because we can't do it on our own. Because when we crucify our flesh, when we crucify ourselves, our selfishness, something has to replace us, and that is God's will. So what I want to do, I want to pray for you. I want to pray for me. That when we leave here today, we leave here, again, not in a somber way, but excited because of what God is going to do, because we are going to take next steps. I believe, and we believe as a church, that Jesus is always calling you and me to take a next step in our relationship with him. And maybe that's just a tiny little baby step, or maybe that's a big old step. I don't know, but he does. So if you would pray with me this morning. God, we're so thankful that you are with us, you are for us. God, you care for us as we are where we are, but you don't leave us here. God, you are drawing us to yourself. God, help us to take needed next steps to be fully devoted disciples, to be disciple makers. God, I pray today that you will give us boldness, courage, strength to crucify our own human opinions, to say no to sin, to put guardrails in place so that we can stay on track for where you're taking us. God, give us opportunities to show and declare that we trust you, that we follow you. Give us opportunities for conversations with family, with friends, with coworkers, with strangers, that we can talk of your goodness. We can talk about the good news of the gospel and how you are transforming us, how you have forgiven us, how you've made us brand new. Father, guide us by your Holy Spirit, the comforter, as you call him. God, we thank you for all that you've done, all that you're going to do. And as we continue to pray this morning, if you don't have a relationship with Jesus, today is the day you can make that decision. You can decide to follow him. It is to believe and to confess, to believe that Jesus was who he said he was, that in his death and resurrection, we are forgiven of our sins and that we have eternal life. If you want to make the decision to follow Jesus today, just pray this with me and say, God, I admit that I'm a sinner, but I believe that in your death and resurrection, I am forgiven of my sins and I am made whole in you. I have new life in you. I confess that you are Lord of my life and I surrender all to you. It's in your holy name we pray. Amen.